0: Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimp. Huh? I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, The Fan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. This is The Tim Graham Show. You're going to need a bigger boat.
1: Hello, hello. This is The Tim Graham Show, but I'm not Tim Graham. Tim Graham isn't here. We haven't seen Tim Graham in weeks, really. Yeah, he's missing. To be honest. He's exploring the West for the athletic, finding stories out there in the gold rush.
2: Yeah, he's exploring the West. Exploring the West.
1: Yeah. Manifest destiny Exact whereabouts unknown Our regular co-host Mike Rodak is off bringing another Rodak into the world Oh my god Actually, sources tell me that's already happened Really? Oh,
3: that's awesome Congratulations congratulations For
1: him, hopefully this one will be pure and not crooked Yeah (laughs) A Buffalo-born Bills fan for life, I believe
2: Yeah, that's going to be crazy He's going to have a kid born in Buffalo
1: Yeah That's awesome (laughs) For Bills fans I think it was his dream so, we're going deep in the bench this oh, afternoon. I'm Jonah Bronstein, normally the fourth or fifth option on the show. Sometimes I have a microphone, <laughs> sometimes I don't. I always have a camera phone streaming live on Twitter and Periscope, oh, yeah. which we're doing right now, in studio with producer Bobby Rizzotti. Bobby, what is that Tim always says about you? What's your role here? Uh, the knob diddler, right? Right. Yes. That's it. I think he's taking a little bit of a break from that, but... But that's still I like how it. you view yourself. That's what I uh, identify as. And you're also Johnny. here every day for the Jerry Sullivan show. Yeah.
2: I almost said Bucky so. and Sully Show. Yeah, it's now the Jerry Sullivan show.
1: Right. You know what's going on in the world of sports. Yeah. We'll be joined in the five o'clock hour by former UB basketball player Mark Bortz to break down the madness, the mania of March, everything basketball in that hour. And we'll get back to some basketball talk. We'll, we'll talk to some, uh, we'll talk to Sabres writer Joe Yrden, talk a little bit about the Sabres, a little bit about the Bills NFL owners meetings. But right now, it is March. It's been one of the most exciting marches of basketball in in Western New York, in Buffalo in a long time, the UB men, the UB women. And we're going to jump right into the Hoops Talk with a superstar guest, one of the best players in all of college basketball, men or women, from a statistical standpoint and the flair with which she plays the game. UB Sierra Dillard, Rochester native second in the country in scoring, the only player in Division One basketball, men or women, to average 25 points, 25 assists, and 25 rebounds. No other player in Western New York big history has ever done that, men or women. She set Western New York women's records this year for scoring average of 25 points a game, career scoring average over 20 points a game. Nobody's yeah. ever done that. So, Sierra, thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, you know, the first thing I just went through kind of a list of all your basketball accomplishments. The first thing I wanted to ask you was I saw Trinidad James tweeted at you the other day. He saw you playing on TV against UConn, and I'm just wondering. He, he's a rapper. He's a uh, host of a show I watch on YouTube about sneakers. And I'm just wondering what that's been like hearing from celebrities, if you will, about how well you played and the how well you guys represented Buffalo basketball the other day.
4: It's been amazing. Um You know, Trinidad is one of them. Um, I I love his song, I'll Go to Everything. Um, Kara Lawson, Rebecca Lobo. um, We got a shout-out from Breonna Stewart. Um, It's been great. Uh, We're just excited and happy to be putting Buffalo on the map and seeing that you don't have to be a BCS school to make headlines in the country and you can go to a uh, considered mid-major school and still be a powerhouse in the country.
1: Uh, You had... 27 points, or I believe 29 points, seven rebounds, seven assists. That's pretty much in line with the numbers you've had against other ranked teams in NCAA tournament games the last two seasons at Buffalo. What is it about the increased level of competition that kind of brings a little bit more out of your game?
4: Uh, I just like I like playing on in front of people. I love I love the big stages. I like to have fun and give the audience a show. And um, my teammates do an amazing job of that as well And playing in front of people. And it just brings out a, a joy in me where, you know, I love the game and I want to show it um, to my character and the way I play throughout the game. And I honestly don't even notice, you know, what I'm doing until I watch film or people tell me about it. I'm just playing and being CD on the court and I'm just enjoying myself and enjoying the time that I had with my teammates and my sisters and my coaching staff. And Coach Jack just told me, go out there and, and do you and, you know, have fun with it. And that's what I, that's what I've done.
1: When you were coming out of gates High School in Rochester five years ago, what were your thoughts and expectations? And how did you envision your college career going? Did you see yourself being able to have this kind of success?
4: Oh, uh, I, you you know as a as a kid you want to you you believe in that and you want to dream that and I know I I did as a kid um, to dream to play on one of the biggest stages of them all um, as you get older reality kind of sets in and you're like as when I was coming out of high school I just wanted to help a program um, I wanted to help build a program to for it to be better and do everything in my power to make the program successful and um, as I got older I kind of realized that as adults we we stopped dreaming our our childhood dreams and we set into reality and kind of think more of what society puts on us and um, kind of, you know, stop dreaming. And this run in this, these past three years at Buffalo kind of opened my eyes to dreaming again. And you can do whatever you want to do and don't let society um, stop you from believing in yourself. And if you put in the hard work and dedication, you can be what you wanted to be since you were a kid um, you just have to put in the work and, and um, you know, I'm a God-fearing woman and, and take God's path uh, of you trying to accomplish your dream. So that's what I, I focus on. I no, I didn't believe it would be this big coming out of high school. I knew I just wanted to help a program. I wanted to help UMass um, become better. Um, and uh, I wanted to do the same when I transferred to Buffalo. And I just wanted to, to love the game again. I know I was coming out of a rut. Um, coming from UMass and Coach Jack just believed in me and I believed in her and you know we we put our dreams together and and we try to put Buffalo on the map and I believe we did that.
1: Yeah I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. You've been open in in other interviews and on your Twitter page about it was a little bit of a journey your college career. Uh, You you call it a rut in between and the transition between UMass and Buffalo. Uh, What was that like and how did you get your confidence and your swagger back as a basketball player?
4: It was just staying focused. Um, my mom actually kept me focused on my dream, and I've always told her that, you know, once I become successful, I'm going to give her the world because she never let me up on my dreams. And, and as a parent, she she did the ultimate, ultimate um, goal of, you know, having her children continue their dreams. And um, it was, I think – it was, um, I don't regret going to UMass. I know a lot of people ask that. I think it made me the person I am today. Um, I think it uh, helped me grow and mature as a young adult and as a young woman. And I believe that if we all go through things in life, I mean, I know it's. I talk about sports, but I think everyone has gone through something in their life or, you know, hit a wall in their life and saying, is this for me? Um, Is this, you know, job for me? Is this sport for me? Is this, you know, uh, life, uh, that I'm living for me. And I, I, and I hit that in UMass and, and, you know, I I fell out of love with the game and I, I wasn't enjoying myself and I just felt like I wasn't giving all of Sierra Dillard to UMass as much as I wanted to, wanted to, and I wasn't being pushed to my full potential. And I think everybody has gone through that in their sports careers. I think everybody has gone through that throughout their lives. And, you know, I took time with my family and, um, I reconciled that uh, you know, I wanted to come closer to home, and I, I kept an eye on Coach Jack from afar. I knew what she was doing. I know that she knows about the home feel of being from Western New York, playing for a Western New York school. I knew that she understands the high level of D1 college and, and being a top athlete as she had, her accolades and her resume speaks for itself. And um, I decided to, to get my blanket relief from UMass, and I thank them for everything they've done for me. Um, I would not be the person I am today without UMass and I decided to come to UB and coach Jack saw that broken down kid as she experienced as a you know a broken down coach coming from Indiana to Buffalo and we decided to you know choose Buffalo for you know um coming back and 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 becoming more in our careers and and we put both like I said we put both of our dreams together and and you know what she was doing with those five seniors that kind of trailblazed the way and so did Coach Sharkey with playing basketball and Coach Jack what she's done with the program has been the ultimate goal of you know just in six years being so successful as she is um, and helping a program become on the map of you know the country and um, I just decided to to join that and and be a part of that and Buffalo adopted me into the family and I'm so thankful to them
1: You had a a tweet thanking the UB community it was a a long gracious note uh, about four pages and a I believe it was an iPhone, Notes app. I was wondering if you could maybe summarize some of those thoughts, uh, some of the people and, and the places and the experiences you had here in at UB that uh, you were thankful for.
4: Uh, it, it's so I'm so thankful for everyone in Buffalo. Um, like I said, it's one of the, the best sports cities ever because it doesn't matter how good or bad. Buffalo loves their sports. Like that's the main thing. They love their sports and, um, they really, you know, I talked to some of the five seniors that graduated last year and also Courtney Wilkins, um, on how much the, the girls, the young women's program has grown. I mean, Courtney talks about how it was just 200 people in the seats and now there's over 2000, 3000. I mean, the support has grown tremendously. And for me personally, um, People in the athletic department and in Buffalo, like, the you know, not only Coach Jack, but, you know, Coach Cherie and my coaching staff and the staff in itself has helped me realize that I'm more than just an athlete. And I think that's the biggest thing um, with a, a young adult, you know, going through college and trying to find her way and trying to become the person that she wants to become or he becomes. um is finding yourself and understanding that you're more than what people just put on you. You're more than what society may label you as. And I'm so grateful for everyone in the athletic staff and even the staff itself. Um, the UB janitor, Miss Sheila, she walked around with a smile on her face all the time and she uplifted me no, you know, no matter what the day was. And I'm grateful for her. And people like, you know, the Brada family, Mr. Uh, Mr. Brian Brada, who's athletic, head athletic trainer, um, he always walked around with a smile and, and always uplift people no matter what he was going through or, you know, the you know, the A D, you know, Mr. Allnut, you know, always congratulating every sports and every athlete, you know, of all our successes. And that type of feel, that type of family feel and family environment helps you grow into the person that they send you off as. I mean We come into college, you know, immature and wanting to to become better and everything like that. And coming to Buffalo, I think I've done that, and I've matured so much more because of the people at Buffalo and all my coaching staff and, you know, just my teammates as well, um, letting me lead them and becoming a better leader. So I can't thank, you know, them enough, and that's why I took the time to send out that note because, I wanted people to understand that you know they had a part in helping me become the person I am today and helping me become the young woman I am today. And, you know, not just, you know, people see the stats and people see, you know, the flashy passes and everything on the court and the highlights and all over ESPN. But the person that I am, I really am grateful not only to coach Jack and my family, of course, and my mom, of course, and people in Rochester, but people in Buffalo as well.
1: Now, an exciting couple of weeks coming up for you. Um, people might not know how quickly the WNBA draft approaches. It's April 10th, right after the end of the Final Four. What is this process? What do you expect this process to be like for you? What do, what do you have on your plate for the next two weeks getting ready for, as most believe, being drafted in the WNBA?
4: Um, well, <laughs> I don't know what to expect. I've never been through it. Um, but I expect just the the hard work paying off, you know, um, the dedication and everything that's paying off because I feel as though the WNBA, no no matter how low people look at it or how um, nonchalantly people look at it, but the WNBA is one of the, the, the most competitive sports and competitive level to get into. I don't think people realize how small of a window it is to get into. I know the NBA has about three rounds and I think like 40 or 50 picks each. The WNBA only has 12 picks in three rounds, so that's 36 people are going to get drafted. And there's undrafted, and there's mini camps, and there's all that. But, you know, you got to realize that you're going to be one of 36 people to be chosen from, or if that. And I think that is so rare and so competitive that people don't realize how small of a window and how good you have to be to be at the top level, you know, um, of the pros. And I'm just enjoying it i'm I'm very so enjoying it um going through the process of you know finding someone for me to represent me and you know just um being able to enjoy that you know people are looking at you and I'm gonna be going through training um and uh I'm actually gonna head down to the final four and um you know see the vibes down there and i'm I'm just very excited and to just to uh, wait and hear and listen if I'm blessed enough to be able to be picked. Um, So I'm just taking an ear in day by day um, right now. Um, You know, my family's more excited and more um, (laughs) happy and everything like that than me. You know, they're trying to do a draft party and stuff like that. And me, I'm just, you know, you just want to hear your name and you want to continue to train and work hard because I feel as though I want to be ready for any team that would be blessed enough to – you know, pick me up, I would be blessed enough to be picked up by. So, you know, I'm just continuing to stay focused, um, stay focused on my grades and um, looking for somebody to represent me and and manage me and help me through the process.
1: All right, Sierra, well, thank you for joining us. You were one of the most fun players to watch that I've covered in the last couple of years or in any of my years. And uh, it was fun talking to you today on the air and good luck with everything. Hope to be watching you again in, in the pros for years to come.
4: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I
0: appreciate
1: it. All right. I think we got to get to a break. Before we do, a little bit of breaking news. Absolutely. If anybody hasn't seen it on Twitter yet. um, Just as we were talking to UB women's basketball star Sierra Dillard, it's come out. UB men's coach, former UB men's coach, Nate Oates, is taking the job at Alabama. This is not just a report. This was tweeted out by the Alabama athletic director. Yeah, UB finally.
2: What what? Real quick reaction, what do you think about this? Because we've talked about this pretty much every week since they've gone on this run. What do you What
3: do you think?
1: I think this is the type of job that uh, might Emma? interest Nate It's probably very good money. I don't know. I haven't seen the numbers out there yet, but we're yeah, probably but talking several, several million. It also is the type of school that can pay his $750,000 buyout to UB without right. really blinking an eye with the yeah. football money that they have. It's yeah. a job where the last few basketball coaches – haven't really had a lot of success. Uh, I think no, it doesn't seem like it. It, it. Sometimes it's difficult to win at a football school as the basketball coach. Right. But it's a big program and a big conference with big resources. And I don't think, having watched Nate Oates up close here in Buffalo, that he's going to have trouble winning really anywhere. No, no. It'll come down to recruiting, which he's also done very well at. Maybe that takes a little bit of time to build up at Alabama. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing will now be to see what happens with UB. Do players follow Nate to Alabama? Do the assistant coaches follow Nate to Alabama? Do recruits follow? Do they just – some might leave. Some might not leave. You know, when Bobby Hurley replaced uh, Reggie Witherspoon, Mm -hmm. most of the recruits, if not all, stayed. uh, Pretty much all the players stayed, at least the key players. So it doesn't always happen that way. I think if UB were to promote one of their assistant coaches, Jim Whitesell, Brian Hodgson – Maybe some sort of combination oh, right. of keeping both of them on the staff, yeah, in expanded roles. I think they would probably keep a lot of the roster, a lot of the recruits. Yeah, they'd like to do that, but for sure. you know, I don't know if that should be the main consideration for hiring the coach that you hope is going to be here for several years. I, I, I'm not saying they should not do that. No, right, but, but maybe there's a you different look process. into more factors than just we don't want our current players to transfer or lose yeah. the recruit. Absolutely, got to be more future by. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch Oof. how that happens or how that plays out from here on out yeah
2: it's kind of a shame but on the bigger and better things it's, you know? it's
1: the way it goes exactly it's the way it goes at mid-major basketball unfortunately there was some belief that maybe oats would stay here for a few years and buffalo could elevate above being a mid-major stepping stone job and maybe it can but this is kind of a sign that it wasn't going to happen in a right. mid-american conference school smaller market like buffalo
3: yeah all right we'll be back
1: Some Sabres talk with Joe Yurden when we get back from the break. The Tim Graham Show. Now, right, we're back on the Tim Graham Show. I am not Tim Graham. I'm Jonah Bronstein. Bobby Rizzotti's with us. Going to have Mark Bortz in studio later on. Ooh. Former UB basketball player. Obviously, the big news now is that former UB basketball coach wow. Nate Oates, after six years here, four as the head coach, two as an assistant. UB went to four of the last five NCAA tournaments. Three of them. With Oates as the coach, just had the best season in school history, 32 wins. Best season of any Western New York team, really, in 50 years or ever. Mm. It's debatable. Second round of the NCAA tournament. Right. Ranked in the top 25 all season long. A mid-major powerhouse, borderline, nationally relevant basketball program. They were nationally relevant. Borderline, a national program is what I'm trying to say. But will that continue without Nate Oates? We'll talk to Mark Bortz a little bit later about that. Uh, we'll talk more about that just in general, really, in the second hour of the show. We got some things planned here with Joe Yurdin from the Athletic Buffalo, covers the Buffalo Sabres. Joe, you with us?
2: Jonah, I am.
1: So, this is a little bit of buzzkill. We had some, we were talking all this exciting stuff about March Madness and the yeah. UB men and women. And now we gotta talk about the Sabres. Who who booked yes, these guests, uh, Bobby? <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Joe. I, I'm I'm happy to have you on because I like I like you for this segment because not only do you really know the Sabres, but you're a radio, former radio guy and you know how to kind of handle this dance we have to do here, and you can really lead the dance and carry me through this segment because you've been watching the Buffalo Sabres a lot more than I have the last couple months. So we'll start there. What's it been like for you? What are your? Do you feel personally attacked by the way the Sabres are playing?
2: (laughs) It's uh, you know I I, I'm glad the uh, the people of Buffalo haven't have turned on me because uh, it seems like things got really bad the the first season I came here in 2013 2014 so and I refused to take ownership of this you know dreadful past two seasons but. man, it felt like, uh, it it sure felt like it was kind of a sucker punch sort of thing this season, going from the highs of being number one in the league in November to being now what, five spots out of last? I think they are, I think they're 27th in the NHL right now, and it's just, it's a pretty remarkable fall from from the top of the mountain where they were. But um, it's made, I don't know if it's made easier or if it's made worse, given what, uh, Terry and Kim Pagula was uh, managed to say yesterday about how things are going there, leaving the door open, to, you know, to keep his judgment. This team wasn't as good as they they were during the ten game win streak. It's all kinds of stuff. It's a lot to digest. Let's put it that way.
1: Are you having digestion issues with all that? I probably need a little
2: more fiber in my diet, and I think the yeah. fiber comes in the form of playoff watching some playoff hockey to see how that goes.
1: Fiber is that a hockey term? Is that like sand and grit? Fiber uh, on the forecheck? Well, yeah, now it is. I, I think
2: I, I think we'll I think we'll say it is now. If you want, if the hockey team needs more fiber. Uh, they got to they got to they, they keep things loose.
1: So your role is a little bit different than in the past few years. You used to write for NHL.com and you covered the Sabres, Buffalo-based. But, like when I'm there for the Associated Press, you could focus a little bit on the visiting team and your previews and your recaps and really just your general focusing of your attention. Now you're mainly covering the Sabres, if not exclusively. And what's that like? You have to find stories right now to tell about this team and this organization. What, to you, are the stories right now? You had a good tweet, actually, if I could, I'll just read it out real quick yesterday. Seasons have layers, and the Sabers are finding deeper and deeper layers to discover as this one crumbles to the finish line. It's a very profound tweet, by the way. So, what are the layers? What layer of the season are we at right now?
2: Well, I, I hopefully this is to the core, because if there are still more more layers to dig through, I got to imagine we're going to dig right through to the other side of, of this, this globe of a of a season. I mean, it started out. You know, getting heavy on the metaphors here but i mean this started out pretty high i mean it seemed like this was going to be a different season you know you you start off with jack getting the big contract and you know you, you get jeff skinner coming out you know flying out of the, out of the chute and you know they, they get that line of skinner and eichel and Bill together while they were out west and uh you know things things started to look like hey maybe they got something going here you know you get a rejuvenated Bill which everybody loves you get Jeff Skinner, who's the new guy who's scoring tons of goals, and you got Jackie and Jack, and that's great. You know, that that, that changed in favor of adding Sam Reinhardt to that line, which that worked out great, too, because Sam's had an unbelievably great season, and, well, it's probably believable, I don't know if unbelievable, but. Um, but, I mean, at this point, it's, you know, when things started to go sideways, and, you know, the one-goal game started going against them, and... You know, some of the old problems started to show up, you know, the defense not playing well, and goal tending, having you know, having moments where it hasn't been so great, you know, the offense disappears for, for weeks at a time. It was just you know, it was it was like getting a peek at the way things used to be back in 06 and 07 and getting a taste of what it might be in the future and then getting all of the past thrown right back in their face and and it's in the fans' face I should say. But I mean this is this is the kind of thing where it's you know, the, the roller coaster ride that it is for the fans. I mean, I, I, it, it's tough because last year it seemed like the fans failed on the team in November, and that was probably the, the sanest thing they could do. Um, but at least the Bills were kind of there to, to soften the blow. This the past season, you know, the you know, Bills were pretty bad. I mean, Josh Allen got everybody, got everybody enraptured with a quarterback for a bit, but they were still bad. But then, you know, the Sabres start out hot, and it's like, all right, this will carry us through till you know until it's time for the NFL draft. Great, perfect. And, you know, the best laid plans, is, you know, sometimes, sometimes they just don't come through. And it's been the case here for this team because, you know, whatever's ailing them right now, it, it just it seems too reminiscent of some of the old problems.
1: In conversation with Joe Yurden, the Athletic Buffalo, talking about the Sabres, let's take out that 10-game winning streak from earlier in the season and, and really the – the start, how well they played at the start, the Buffalo Sabres. If you smooth out the curve, how much worse, how much different has this season gone than what you expected from the Sabres back in August, September, before things got started?
2: Uh, this, is, this is pretty bad. I, I, I would, you, know, you can't subtract wins from the record. I
1: think, I think we're losing Joe. I think Joe. we lost him. Hold on. I'll get him. The Sabres have silenced Joe Yurden's voice. We were having a little bit of a shaky connection there, anyways. We get him back, Bobby. Try it, Joe. Are yep. you there? You with us?
2: Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm All still right. here. I, Do you
1: remember the question? Do I have to repeat that?
2: No, no, I, I got gotcha. you. Um, I would say that you know, I mean, you can't take away the win. They, they had those; they earned them. But um, you know, this is a lot worse off than I think than was expected. I think. This team was expected to grow. I think they were expected to be uh, you know, challenging for a playoff spot for most of the season. And for you know, for whatever happened here in these last couple of months, you know, with the different things that have cropped up and, and, and happened, I mean this is this is this is a lot more disappointing. I mean last year was disappointing, but you can almost excuse it because, you know, the the, the roster cleanup had only kind of started and by the end of the season it was it was taken care of. But you know, this time around, it was like, all right. Well, the clubhouse is figured out. You know, they got the locker room stuff done, and now it's now we now we think we can move forward. But it's like, well, how do you move forward? Like, how do you move forward when the results are still pretty poor? And I think that's the spot they're at now is that they they need to figure out where the issues are with this roster that they need to improve. And I mean, at this point, they got to improve a little bit of everything.
1: Where would you start? If you were the GM or you were advising the GM, you know, what should be priority A and B for the Sabres going forward?
2: Well, I would, first thing I do is I get the Jeff Skinner thing taken care of. Um, that, to me, is something that probably should have been done around the trade deadline um, when they decided, well, when his team decided that he was going to stay here. I, granted, he's been in a funk here for the last month or so, but you know who hasn't on this team? I mean, the offense has just kind of dried up, but Um, but I would get Jeff Skinner taken care of and done. I mean, it it seemed for, it has seemed that he's wanted to stay here. He likes it. It's close to home. You know, when things are going good, they're great. When things are going bad, they're, they're a little rough, but I mean, that stuff happens with every team, but I would get him done and then I would move forward because if you're dragging that out through April, May, June, and if you're still not going to have it settled before free agency hits, that's a big problem because, if you're if you're thinking you're bringing him back and you know things aren't done by them, well, that's going to hold up your plans trying to get somebody else or get some other people in place. And um, you know, I think I think they could use some center help. Uh, I think you know, Casey Middleset, that kind of thrown in thrown into the deep end in his first season. I, there's a lot of expectations on him, but like he was, you know, having him be the number two, and you know, you move O'Reilly, like okay, fine, but uh, but having him, you know. Kind of penciling him in as your number two with you know six games of experience. That's pretty tough. That's that's really hard for somebody learning the league to, to try to get a handle on it. And um, you know they they need more scoring depth. They need more. They need more from the wings. They need more. They need another center. They need more defensemen that are going to fit what they what they want. You know puck moving wise. It's why they traded for Brandon Montour. It's why you know you get Rasmus Dahlin. You got all these guys. So they've got. You know these pieces are in place, which I mean everybody's heard now for a couple of years. The pieces are in place now build around them. And I think the building around them part has become a little bit more difficult because you know swinging deals for Connor Sherry or Jeff Skinner is, is tricky. But you know this, that's the kind of thing that's going to have to happen. You know, if that means trading Rasmus Ristelainen for uh, you know, for a Ryan Nugent Hopkins or for a, for a big winger, then maybe that's what's got to happen to try to help move this team forward.
1: You know, you went right to the roster, and a lot of suggestions, moves with the rosters. Do you? Is that intentional? Are you passing on any evaluation or referendum on the coaching staff on Phil Housley?
2: Well, the, the coaching thing, I think, is its, its own its own issue, and you know, I'm repeating myself on that one. But it, it's, I think it's because a lot, you know, a lot was expected of the players, but I think a lot of it was expected was. Uh, a lot was expected of Housley to get this team going in the direction and try to be that next Nashville team and play with that same sort of, you know, that that same sort of attack, that same sort of ability and, you know, coming in waves offensively and, and being able to be dangerous defensively by just controlling the puck, moving the puck around all over the place and, and getting things taken care of that way. I think that that part of things was supposed to have started to happen this year. And then it didn't. And that's a problem because, you know, if the coach can't get the guys going, then that that's a big deal. But we're looking at possibly, you know, if they, if Terry and Kim, you know, look at this thing and they decide that the players aren't there with Housley and they're not learning and growing, then you're talking about, what, your fifth head coach, I think, in six or seven years? And that's that's pretty brutal. I mean, yeah, there's been rebuilding. Yeah, there's been the tanking. There's been all this stuff. But, I mean, if you're going to get a team to grow, you've got to have the right guy behind the bench to make it happen. And if they're constantly searching for a new head coach, then I don't know how that works with a young team when the message keeps getting changed every couple of years.
1: All right, Joe, thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking some time out to share your joy and enthusiasm for the Buffalo Sabres. <laughs>
2: there, there is joy. There is enthusiasm.
1: They spark joy. <laughs>
2: I might need to Marie Kondo things about the
1: uh, about the baby. All right, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Hope you get a better phone next time you call in. <laughs>
2: I'll work on it. Thanks, guys. Uh,
1: all right, bye. Thanks, Joe. All right, Bobby. We're going to break. How yeah, much time do we have?
2: Let's do it. Get a break, and now we'll come back with who we got.
1: Well, how about this? Uh, give me a minute. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Buffalo Athletic Director Mark Allnut has. uh, named Jim Whitesell, the associate head coach, the interim Ooh, head coach. Right, 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 He has previous head coaching experience at Loyola Chicago, assistant for St. John's, St. Louis, longtime head coach at Division II and three levels before he was at Loyola Chicago. Very accomplished, very much a part of Buffalo's success the last couple of years. Right. Very well-liked. I don't know if people, listeners to this show, remember when Joe Mahalik was on? Mm-hmm. He had very nice things to say about Jim Whitesell, whereas everybody does that has dealt with him. I don't know. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the coach. Sometimes the interim coach is not yeah. the one they settle on long-term. Right.
2: Just the most comfortable but right now.
1: they don't always name an assistant the interim coach. Niagara didn't do that when they fired Chris Casey a couple weeks ago. So that's a little bit of a hint. And before we go to break, I'll, I'll read us out on this quote from Nate It's included in the release from Buffalo Athletics. Excellent. Former UB coach Nate Oates says, I want to thank the UB administration for helping us elevate Buffalo into one of the premier mid-major programs in the country. The support we have received from the western New York community during the time, the good times and the bad times, has been nothing short of amazing. This community has made Buffalo feel like home for Crystal and my family over the last six years. And that, at this point, is all UB says anybody will say on this matter. We'll let you know if anything changes when we come back from break. All right, we're back. Tim Graham Show, hosted by Jonah Bronstein for the first time. Bobby Rizzotti in studio. The Jonah and Bobby Show doesn't have really that good of a ring to it. <laughs> it oh, this will be the last time. Tim ah. Tim said, here's the options. We can do a best of show yeah. or a worst of show. <laughs> Is and that then, all Mike Rodak yeah, clips? Me and you. No, me and you is the worst of show. Oh, okay. Get okay. it? All right, all right. Now I'm out. Or maybe you <laughs> can call that the best of show. Maybe Some people might say that. Good people on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we have Tim Graham. That, that, that sounds like That's Tim Graham Tim. coughing in the microphone. Or laughing. That was a laugh. Uh,
0: I was laughing. That was uh, a good line. Good people on both sides. Fine people on both sides. On right. both sides.
1: There always are. There always are. On uh. every issue. All right, Tim, well, thank you for joining the Tim Graham Show.
0: I have to tell you this moment real quick. So yesterday I'm over uh, where the owners' meetings are taking place at the Arizona Biltmore, and there's this little area by a coffee shop that Matthew Fairburn and I and Joe Biscalia have been posting up. It's got electricity, it has uh, the USB ports, and everybody's walking by. So whether it's Brandon Bean or Art Rooney or John Mara, it doesn't matter, you know, Bill Belichick – And you see the guys you know, you wave at them, they stop over. It's a great spot because then they'll stop and sit with you for a little bit, Mm -hmm. as opposed to hanging out in the media center. And so, sure enough, yesterday, uh, Matt's back is facing the traffic area. And I say, William Benditson is here. Mm. And (laughs) uh, and Matthew Matthew Fairburn says, get out. And I said, I swear on my son. And... uh, Matt kept his head down and uh, we had a nice chat with William Benditson.
1: Nice. Can you can that you give us a little bit of a quote? Can you quote William Benditson in the William Benditson voice is something uh, he would have said?
0: Tim, it's good to see you. Always good to run into you. I love your show. Let's do radio. You do good radio.
1: You do, uh, do good but radio. But he
0: he actually did say that. And so that's probably why I'm dragging it in here. I just want to pat myself on the back. But we felt awful for a reporter was interviewing Kevin Demoff uh the executive with the Rams uh, about being in uh being in LA now for a couple of seasons and getting settled in and uh well William has uh he has uh, high volume and so i think we were we were just looking at each other as though this woman's interview her recording is going to be useless so anyways Ran into old friend of the show, William Benditson. Good times. Nice. Run into all the celebrities down here at the owners' meetings.
1: <laughs> As one does. Now, I got to say, so we were, we were planning this show. You told me I'd be hosting. I was trying to find some guests. Yesterday, I thought I had Nate Oates locked in. They said he'd be available. We'd, we'd talk again about the time. I go to confirm that today. Nate Oates suddenly not available. Mm. And my antenna went up a little bit. I thought it might be an interview at this time of year. Even a coach who's staying goes a little bit underground because there's conversations and uh, the transaction season, if you will. I didn't expect this to happen this quickly. I'm not terribly surprised that a, a job like Alabama is one that Nate Oates would accept. But I didn't think it would happen this quickly at that school. That's
0: the surprise with me, Jonah, is uh, to hear that Nate Oates is leaving is one thing, but Alabama, is, it's not a traditional basketball school. I mean, it, obviously, it's been around forever, and it's in the SEC, and there's SEC money behind it, and the program is boffo, uh, just because of the football alone, but in all the other sports that they do great in, baseball, I think they're a huge gymnastic school, national championships all the time, uh, there's other things that they do, uh, and so the the money clearly is there, and maybe they want to make a push, and they were able to sell Nate Oates on that. But all throughout the the time that Nate Oates has been here and doing well, the belief, at least among us, I mean, and you know better than me, is that this guy can meander his way through these job offers and pretty much pick his spot as long as there's an opening because of the resume that he's put together and being able to do what he has done so incredibly well at a mid-major that hadn't had much success. Obviously, Bobby Hurley came in and, and got them to the tournament right away, but what Nate Oates did, I think, is far more impressive, and people in basketball uh, uh, see that. Uh, so, yeah, Alabama, to me, is the biggest part of this. Uh, obviously, Nate Oates leaving, but Alabama, it just it's, got, it's just a money thing for me. I mean, at least that's, that's the way it looks. I mean, people will hear different at his news conference, but
1: well, I, it just I, seems
0: like a money move.
1: It is. I'm, it's a huge raise. Uh, Avery Johnson, their previous coach, from what I read on his last extension, was making about $2.9 million a year, maybe more with the bonuses. I would think Nate Oates got more than that, if not significantly more than that if they really wanted him. So we're talking a contract that's at least $3 million a year for five or six years. That's a lot of money. Uh, this this UB contract was kind of maxed out with the bonuses at about a million dollars. So uh, it's a huge increase. It's a bigger league. It's you're able to sign better recruits. Uh, you know, just uh, the average player is going to consider an sec school over a max school without even really putting too much thought into that. But it's also a job where the basketball coaches haven't had a ton of success there. They go to the NCAA tournament twice since 2010 in the last decade, uh, Elite eight. They've been there one time in 2004. That's the last time they've been to the Sweet 16. The only time they've been in the Sweet 16 since 1991. So it's not a bad job, but it's not, I don't know if it's a destination job. I don't know if it's the best job in college basketball. So to your point, is this a move, Nate Oates? Do you, do you think he'll be the coach of Alabama for as long as uh, he wants to be?
0: I probably not. Uh, I think maybe you get to fly under the radar a little bit at Alabama for maybe a couple of years because everybody's so focused on the football program. But uh, yeah, after a while, you need the results. And, you know, and that's, I think you mentioned Avery Johnson. As soon as I heard his name, it just dawned on me that the aspect of kind of what I was saying before. This is a program that's tried every trick in the book, you know, to go with a name, to go with a guy who was in broadcasting at the time. Didn't he retire, come back out of broadcasting to coach?
1: Yeah, well, I I think it was a short time broadcasting. He was an NBA coach with the Dallas Mavericks, but, yeah, he wasn't. He didn't go right from coaching, and he had no college experience. He was broadcasting. You're right about that for a couple years.
0: An uh, an unorthodox or a a non-traditional. Uh, college basketball hire. You know, they were going, they were trying to think outside the box with Avery Johnson. Usually you get a guy who's coming up. You don't get an N- NBA guy coming back down to coach colleges, especially for the first time. It was almost like they were looking for more of a splash. And that to me is indicative of a program that's still trying to figure out All right, how we do this. Like, we're, we've already tried, you know, the up and come. We've already tried this. So like, it's just Avery Johnson will be a sexy hire. Let's do that. Um, so, but going after Nate Oates, I mean, it's a program builder. He'll give them recognition with the people in the basketball community. But, Joni, you mentioned the, the recruiting, and you know this better than me because you follow it so closely. But, yes, he's going to get a better caliber of recruit, but he's also going to be in the living rooms of some big-time coaches that he wasn't in the same living room as before. So you're recruiting a guy to the MAC and you're competing with, i don 't know a West Virginia or a, maybe a pitt uh, Cincinnati uh, you know some schools like that, but then you're trying to recruit the kids down, especially in the South, but within your conference, you have Florida and lSU, and these big time heavyweight programs that at least have, uh, have have some cachet and maybe they're not they're not super successful right now, but the SEC offers so many different uh, high level or high-profile programs that he's going to have to talk kids into not going there uh, so they can go to Alabama. So what, what are your just what are your thoughts on that part of
1: it? I think that's definitely true. That's probably what has affected the last few coaches that they've had. On the other side of it, you look at how well he was able to recruit here. First is kind of the main recruiter for Bobby Hurley. Now is the head coach. Brian Hodgson deserves a lot of credit for the recruiting they've done, but so does Nate Oates. He's the head coach, and the head coach is always involved in those decisions. And is he a name as a replacement for
0: Nate, do you think, Jonah?
1: Well, Or do you, does, I would does he say, go with him to Alabama? Yeah, I mean, I saw hire Hotchen hashtag on Twitter almost immediately after Nate Oates it came out that he was leaving. Now, Jim Whitesell has been named the interim head coach, so I would think that's an indication that UB won't go to somebody else on the staff as the head coach. It's usually how those things work. I've right. always said I think the best thing UB could do is keep both Whitesell and Hodgson. Uh, probably make Whitesell the head coach because he has more experience and had more of a on-the-floor coaching role with UB the past couple of years, while Hodgson was a recruiter who would also coached, but recruiting was his main responsibility. And but
0: Hodgson was brought up in my Q&A that I did with uh, uh, Coach Jack and, and Nate Oates, and it was kind of, they were talking about what, what from each other's program they try to model or what each other one does well. You know, they were just talking very nicely about each other. And it was brought up by, uh, uh, by Coach uh, Jack is that uh, she said, uh, you know, you have the closer, meaning Hodgson. And Nate Oates just kind of like looked like at the ground and with a very emphatic nod of his head, like, oh, yeah. Like it was an acknowledgement of how important he is to the program. And so cell's uh, uh, name didn't come up in the interview. Uh, let's just put it that way.
1: Yeah, uh, Brian Hodgson, absolutely. I don't know if it's all of the recruits they've gotten in the last few years, but it's pretty much all of the ones that you can name that were good recruits and the classes that they've had highly ranked last year and might be this year as well. So as I was saying, I think they're going to get a $750,000 buyout for NATO. Sometimes those get spread over years. They might not get it all in one lump sum the new coach might not make as much as they were going to be paying Nate Oates. So you have some extra money in the program. You make Brian Hutch and a high paid assistant and you keep the band together. Nate Oates isn't the coach anymore, but you pretty much have two if not three of his assistants remaining on staff and you keep all the players and you keep the culture the same. And that's how a lot of these programs uh, function. The, the high achieving mid majors, they're, they're stepping stone jobs, but the next coach keeps it rolling and it just keeps going and going and building over the years. And, Buffalo has an opportunity to do that, not just by retaining these current coaches, by maybe by hiring another good coach, but I think the sh- most surefire way would be to find a way to keep Nate Oates staff, Jim Whitesell, Brian Hodgson, Jamie Quarles, all these guys together, all the players together, and keep it going for next year and beyond.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's the safest way to go. They they have something now. You The idea of bringing in a new coach, even if they have more pedigree than uh, and more experience than the staff that would be rising up uh, to replace you know, NATO's staff, like you're just saying. But you, there's a certain element of of reinventing the program. If you bring somebody else in, you have to recreate, as opposed to sustaining. And I think you're you're absolutely right, Jonah. The best way to sustain a program is to keep the guys who are there as stabilizers. And uh, they're they've obviously proven themselves in their roles. Um, because NATO doesn't do it all. So, as a recruiter, as an X's and O's guy, as this and that, these assistant coaches have performed very well by, you know, just based on the record alone. So, you um, know, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It was, and again, to kind of bring the conversation full circle, it's just the Alabama part that really, I mean, other than the money, uh, it just it seems like he could have gotten a lot of money at a program that, uh, that is better situated.
1: Yeah, it wasn't the job I expected that would be able to, to lure Nate Oats, But then again, I, I don't know if this happened in your conversations with him, but it happened in mine and happened in a lot of interviews I've read. He was not shy about saying, I want to stay in Buffalo. I'm not really looking to leave. But if the money but, is yep. big enough, he really never...
0: He never did the Doug Marone at Syracuse where he said, this is my dream job, I'm not leaving.
2: You know, he was
0: not, he wasn't, or what... Nick Saban did with the Miami Dolphins when he left for Alabama. It's like, absolutely, I'm not even talking to Alabama. Next week, Alabama's holding a press conference uh, after Nick Saban insisting he was going to remain the Miami Dolphins head coach until until he was no longer welcome. So, yeah, I think Nate Oates, he was honest. He was transparent. I was very surprised every time I had a conversation with him about his transparency in that. And I... I think that Nate Oates leaving here, there are going to be some UB fans, some alumni who are upset with this. I don't think you can be mad at Nate Oates. I don't think this is a situation of a guy jilting your program. He did great things, uh, and this is what happens at a school of this size. And it's, it's, and I'm not saying this to be, as a, uh, to be condescending, but it's a minor league. The Mid-American Conference is a, a stepping stone. People don't aspire to be a lifetime head coach in the MAC either Mac. This was, if you're going to do well, you're going to lose the guy. And so now UB has done very well and they've lost two guys. And let's hope that they keep losing guys because that means that they're doing
1: great. Yeah, I do think stuff I've seen on Twitter and just knowing how Buffalonians and really maybe sports fans think, I think there'll be some backlash to why did you sign the contract extension? Why did you maybe tease us, tease Buffalo into thinking you were staying? But on the other side of that, this new contract extension got Buffalo an extra 250000 in the buyout. So in the long range, Nate Oates did them a little bit of a favor by agreeing to an extension if he knew he was leaving. I don't think he knew he was leaving when he signed the extension, but I think he knew that if an offer like this came across, uh, he was going to consider it strongly.
0: You know, Alabama, you know, you get some of those big personalities that I'm sure that they have in the SEC school period, but Alabama – if you were to put Alabama's athletic revenues up against some sports leagues, it would probably, you know, teams or individual teams. You want to take a look at Buffalo Bills revenues compared to Alabama Crimson Tide football. And I think that we would uh, <laughs> we would probably also get a better understanding. And, no, he's not going to coach the football team. But they all share in the same facilities. You know, the bat, I'm sure the football team has – has paid uh, for some amazing trainers' rooms and weight rooms and locker rooms and travel that they do, the way that they, tra- the way that they go to each game. All these things are underwritten by the football program. And, and I think that Alabama, yeah, and also alluding to what we spoke of earlier, the alumni there are going to be on his ass if he doesn't win after a couple of years because even though it is a football school, they still are sports fans, and when it comes around to winter, and they focus, they move their attention after January first from the national championship game to the basketball program. Uh, they want they want to be a power there too. I'm sure. So yeah, he's gonna he's gonna have to produce.
1: All right, we' we're about to hit the break. Anything real quick from the owners meetings? Anything fun going on there today, Tim?
0: Well, I've learned a ton, and some things that I haven't reported yet, some things I can't report um, because that's part of the networking that you have at, a, at an event like this, um, things that you file away for later. And, uh, but incredible access at these events uh, with Terry and Kim Pagula. I had a one-on-one Q&A with her uh, that is posted on, uh, at The Athletic, in which she talked about being at the first owners' meetings without Russ Brandon, uh, her uh, thinking on the changes – Uh, over at PSE uh, from the uh, Brent Rossi uh, departure, Mike Gilbert. You have to call them departures, I guess, because there were resignations. You can't really say they were fired. I think they were forced resignations. But anyway, uh, and anyway, there's some, there's, you covered a lot of territory in there. So, yeah, check that out. And uh, Matt Fairburn and I will be uh, filing a lot of words over the coming days uh, from what we learned down here at the owners' meetings. Thanks for having me on my show, Jonah.
1: Yeah, Tim Graham, thank you for joining the Tim Graham Show. You're always welcome on the Tim Graham Show.
0: Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I'm a friend of the show, and I can't wait to be on again. Keep diddling those knobs, Robert.
1: Oh, I will. Be safe, Tim. All right, we got Mark Bortz coming in. I think he's coming in. We haven't seen him yet. Oh, he's up there. Oh, I did not look high enough. Second hour, more UB Talk with Mark Bortz, former Bull. A lot of UB Talk. Uh Uh-oh. All right, we're back. Tim Graham Show, minus Tim Graham. He won't be calling in second hour. So if you only listen to this show to hear Tim, keep you listening listen to please, the podcast. Anyways. We have we a have friend of the show, Mark Bortz. He joins us once a year in March. It's in his contract. Come in here and talk basketball. Well, Actually, I think you came in in June for some NBA talk. But.
3: Yeah, we talked a little NBA before, before yeah. the finals started. I made a horrible prediction. It was <laughs> with my heart, not my head, but that's okay. I'll live with it.
1: If you're younger and you don't remember Mark Bortz, he played at UB 2001 to 2005 right over the years. 2000 to 2005 was, came off the bench, but was the center and a very important member of the 2005 team that reached the MAC final, won 23 games, was considered the best team in UB history up till about a year or two ago. We can talk more about where that pecking order is now, but, and played professional basketball for how many years?
3: Just over six years.
1: How many countries?
3: Oh, like close to 10. Wow. Yeah.
1: What was your favorite country to play pro basketball in?
3: Oh, favorite country to play and favorite country to live. It's two different questions, but favor, favorite country to play was Argentina. The basketball was amazing. You can see all the, the guys from Argentina that are in the NBA. The basketball down there is incredible. The fans are unbelievable. Um, I learned what they were saying very quickly in Spanish, and a lot of it wasn't good when we were on the road, but it was it was fun. Uh, favorite country to live was, was Uruguay or Belgium. Either one of those were just amazing places to live when – when you hang the shoes up at the end of the day, you need to just go relax a little bit. Both of those places were amazing to just sit back, relax a little bit, clear your mind in between games and practices.
1: Do you wish to tell us the worst country to play basketball in, the worst country to live in?
3: <laughs> oh, I don't know if I should because it, it's Is really it the United it's, States. It's, it's, no, no, <laughs> gosh, the uh, for for multiple reasons. I'll tell a quick story. So, one of the most concerning places to play—I'll use a different word—was Venezuela. And oh, this they're this, having trouble now, right? Yeah, yeah, now now is crazy. I thought it was crazy when I played back in in oh nine, oh ten, eleven. But uh, we were coming home from practice one day, and there was a mall that we had stop at to to grab food every single day on the way home. And that that day, for whatever reason, I decided not to stop. I went right home, made some food at home before practice to come back that night. I get to practice that night, and my teammate is is telling this story. How he did decide to go to the mall that day, and grab his food, and he he was telling a story, and he's laughing. I'm like, oh, what's going on? What happened? He's like, oh yeah, well, like I got to the mall, and there was a crowd gathered around the front steps, and there was a guy who was just there, and he was shot, and he had a chalk line around him. And I'm like, what what'd you do? Oh he's like, well, I don't know. It happened like 30 minutes before, so I just stepped over him, I went and got lunch, and I went home. It's like you got to be kidding oh me. Oh my god. So I don't want to paint a picture that that's what Venezuela was like, but it was just. Concerning, It was a little bit uncomfortable to play there. And, uh, again, when – and, Joan, you probably saw some of the games at UB when I was there. You know, the crowd gets into it. Sometimes you like to get into it a little bit with the crowd, too, especially when you're on the road in a hostile environment. Kent State comes to mind. That gets you going, right? Right. So we're playing in in Venezuela, in the capital, in Caracas, and we're playing against our rival at the time – and they're both two top teams, one and two in the league, battling it out towards the end of the year for playoff position. And then uh, I do something, of course. I mean, you guys saw me play. I was probably <laughs> gang doing something I shouldn't have. And uh, so the crowd gets into it, and then I get taken out of the game, and they get into it more. So and I'm you know saying some things to the crowd, and my coach and my teammates are like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Don't do that. I'm right. like, oh, I'm just having a little fun. They're like, no, listen, you don't understand. Last year in the playoffs, in the finals, in the same gym, at the end of a game we won in a last-second shot. And we had to run to the locker room because people started shooting guns there. And, like, people oh. got killed after that game in the arena. So I'm like, oh okay, I will, uh, I'll behave. Jeez. I'll behave. So concerning is the word I would use.
1: All right. And with all your world traveling wow. and you're from Michigan. Michigan, that's right. right. But decided to come back and settle in Buffalo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was it about Western New York that kept you here?
3: Family family. So while I was playing, so I I met my my now wife in in Buffalo at UB. We had the same major. Uh, So we met my junior year, and then she stuck with me through all my travels overseas, stayed here, was my rock. Uh, we got married during the six years that I was playing, and she was the one that, that kept me uh, kept me here, helped me to stay here, helped me to build a family here. Her family is absolutely amazing. And then the family that we built with UB Basketball around here also is what, what really kept us coming back and kept me coming back. And one of the things I think that Reggie built in my time there was this culture of uh, continuous improvement in family so that during those summers, we wanted to come back. We wanted to be in the gym. We wanted to work again with with each other, myself, Danny Gilbert, Turner Bell, any any of us guys that were still playing wanted to come back, wanted to work with the next round of guys that were still there, that we knew, that we loved, and we all wanted to help each other and improve, so that kept us coming back every single summer so we could continue to get better and continue to build that UB family and not just make ourselves better but make UB better.
1: Talking about Mark Bortz, UB basketball alum, so you mentioned family, and I'm thinking the Buffalo basketball team had these shirts. They were Nike shirts. I saw other teams wearing them. They said family, Buffalo. Yeah, all through the NCAA tournament. You see my TV. You see him at the games. Uh, you know there was some thought that that basketball family, also NATO's own family considerations, might not keep him from leaving, but root mm-hmm. him here in mm-hmm. Buffalo a little bit harder than we see with some of these coaches that move on from schools like buffalo to schools like alabama and if, if you're just hearing this that Nate Oates has been announced basically by the athletic director from alabama on twitter as the new alabama men's basketball yeah. coach and that's been confirmed by ub so that's not a report that's not anything that's going to change now so what are your thoughts on this mark you've been around you've seen coaches come and go through the mac other leagues and really just you follow basketball and you know how these things work you're mm-hmm. around ub mm-hmm. this year what are your thoughts on Nate Oates leaving to coach at Alabama?
3: I say, honestly, good for him because he's done a great job of building and continuing to build on uh, the success at UB, and he peaked with the best season in UB history. First he, he had the best season last year, and then he topped it again, and he's got the choice to continue to try and and build on that success here at UB or capitalize on it at the peak of his success. And I cannot fault him at all for wanting to go somewhere else and capitalize on that success. And we were talking during the break about it. If you are too intent on staying where you are and continue, continuing to build on that program, you run the risk of losing that sizzle. You're not at the top of people's coaching uh, lists anymore for some of these big programs, and it can end up hurting you in the end. So I think now is the greatest time to capitalize. And what what it's going to speak to over the next year, two, three years here, is UB's ability as an institution to continue to push that forward. So I don't want to put it all on the coach. To me, it's on the institution to build the foundation as a place where other people, other coaches, other players want to come and be a part of that.
1: Would you say it's – well, maybe I stopped short of saying impossible, but unrealistic for Buffalo or a Mid-American Conference team to expect to keep its coach after the success they've had, 32 wins, 27 wins the year before. I think some people might have been surprised that Nados didn't leave last year.
3: Mm-hmm. I think it's it's... It is unrealistic. you have to find a special coach with a special set of circumstances. and I think Reggie's a great example, a guy who was is, who is homegrown who really truly loved Buffalo and had a unique set of circumstances that really kept him here because he loved Buffalo and the community so much And, and I can't speak to you know why Reggie stayed or didn't go or, or any of those reasons, but being there 14 and a half years, you know that with the success that he had and the fact that he didn't go, I mean, there's got to be some very specific reasons that kept him here. It's not a place like, you know, Coach K at Duke, 30-plus years, right? I mean, you know, that's that's the top of the heap where there's nowhere else to go but possibly the NBA. Here, the Mac in general, we've all got to be realistic and understand that it probably is a springboard. If you really, truly want success – for your university, then you should really look at it as a springboard to some of these bigger programs. And if you have an issue with that, again, it comes down to me, to the institution, for them to build on that and build the institution up to a point where maybe you're looking to shift into a different conference where you are now at the top of the heap and you're battling and you're more of an Alabama in the SEC trying to battle to get to the top of that conference and not maintain and hold on to guys that want to go to those bigger conferences.
1: Where do you think UB goes from here? Athletic Director Mark Allnut were to bring in some former players like yourself and ask them, what do you think, where should we go, how do we keep the program moving in the right direction, what would your response be?
3: My number one requirement, recruiting. Recruiting, 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 because you can, you, if you get the talent, you can find a way to make it work on the court. And if you can get the right kind of talent in the right mix, you can find a way to make it work. And again, if you build a staff and you have the right assistants around you, you can really put put some of those things in place in order to help develop that talent. But for me, the number one thing is somebody who can really go out there and recruit. And that's not just a name, that's an ability to go out there and really land kids, have the network to be able to get kids, not just from a region or a particular area, but to get them from anywhere all over the country. It's not easy, but you get somebody that has the right contacts and the ability to close then that, to me, is the number one thing that UB needs. I don't need a name. I need somebody with some proven abilities to go get kids.
1: So Brian Hodgson, assistant coach, has been responsible for a lot of Buffalo's recruiting success in the last few years. If not, I don't want to say all the success, but all the big names that we've heard Mm -hmm. about are Brian Hodgson recruits. He doesn't have head coaching experience. He's been an assistant at the junior college level and now at UB for the Mm -hmm. four years that Nate Oates was there. So Western New Yorker, he's from Jamestown. Wants to stay in the area. Would you... So would you hire the most talented recruiter even if his coaching resume wasn't as good as some of the other coaches?
3: Well, look at Nate Oates. What was his head coaching experience? He's 11 years as a coach in high school. Right. A good program. Did had, very did, well. Did very well. Had a state title, yes, absolutely. But again, that, that jump from high school to college, that's a huge difference. Yeah. Now now you're feeding your family off of off mm-hmm. of that coaching. So he, again, had had one of those resumes where you look and go, uh, you know, we went from Bobby Hurley to this guy and, and look at what he was able to do, right? And some of that comes down to recruiting, the combination of his ability to recruit, put a staff around him. So I have no concerns about a guy and his – Head coaching ability, because you look at what Nate Nate did. He added people with experience around him. He understood where his strengths were and where his weaknesses were, and he filled them out. So you get somebody in there that understands that. And when you interview them, if they have a plan for understanding themselves and what they need to do to flesh it out, absolutely go for it. That's why I wouldn't just hand the job to him, but I would say, you know, let's let's maybe talk to a couple people and see how it compares. And if he wows me. You've got it. Let's, let's go. Let's keep this thing moving in the right direction.
1: And Nate might try to take Brian Hodgson with him. Like I, I, Stop it, Nate. You took enough. <laughs> Stop. Leave us oh. alone.
3: Give us, leave us something, <laughs> man. Don't leave the cupboards bare. Sort of Four senior, best senior class of all time, arguably, and now you're, you're going to rip him away too? Stop it.
1: And if, he take, if Brian Hodgson goes with Nate Oates, I would think players and recruits follow. And that's just how these things work. Shannon Evans went to Arizona yep. State with yep. Bobby Hurley. It's how these things work. Uh, the players that all left Niagara with Joe Mahalik to go to Hofstra yep. along with the recruits. I haven't seen if any UB recruits have decommitted yet. It's a little quick for that to come out, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that could happen. Um, as I don't know if you were listening before I got here. They've named Jim Weitzel the interim head coach. He was mm-hmm. the associate head coach. I see a scenario where maybe they keep him and Brian Hodgson and keep everything together minus Nate Oates, keep this run going. Might be difficult to do that if Nate Oates or another Power 5 school wants Brian Hodgson to come on staff. The assistants at big schools make a lot more than the assistants at schools like Buffalo, mm-hmm. and they even make almost close to what some head coaches make. Maybe not what Nate Oates was making or what the new head coach will make, but mm-hmm. you can be an assistant at Power 5 school making two hundred grand, and that's about what the coach at a Canisius Center in Niagara is making mm-hmm. and what UB was paying not that long ago. So maybe that's an unrealistic scenario. And maybe keeping the band together isn't what an athletic director, Mark Alnut, who hasn't made a big hire yet, is looking to do.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: He was brought in by a search firm, hired by a university president that was brought in by a search firm. Stands to reason they will hire a search firm to search for the new head coach. When that happens, usually don't promote from within. But maybe... Mark sees the success. He, I know he follows, he's close to the program. He probably knows the value that Jim Weitzel and Brian Hodgson had and might try to keep that together in order to keep the players. That's one consideration. Mm-hmm. And the recruits.
3: Not unlike the transition when Bobby Hurley left. Exactly. The and the ADs changed over. They decided to keep on Nate, probably for continuity, besides the fact that Nate, Nate's amazing, so I would have kept him too. Yeah, and the
1: <laughs> players were, I think, consensus went into mm-hmm. Danny White's office and said, he's the guy, keep him. This, this just happened at Siena. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carmen Masciarello was promoted after one year. Jamie Christian. All the players said, you know, this is the guy mm-hmm. we want to play for, and it made it an easy decision for the athletic director. Maybe that happens here with Buffalo.
3: Now, Jonah, you're closer to this than I am. Is there a name out there or names that you think would be good candidates? You've been talking about Niagara and filling their void. Are there, there are other names that come to mind for you that you think would be a good fit for Buffalo?
1: There's names that come to mind. But my mind always goes to people with Buffalo and Western New York ties. Mm -hmm. So some of the first names that pop into my head whenever a local job opens, whether it was Niagara a couple weeks ago, Buffalo now, Canisius Bonaventure in the past. Carlin Hartman played at Grand Island, assistant in Oklahoma. Rob Lanier from Buffalo, assistant at Tennessee. Previous head coaching experience at Siena was an assistant for Niagara and St. Bonaventure at various points in time. Also Desmond Oliver, an assistant at Tennessee with Rob Lanier was an assistant coach at Canisius, I think sometime at Niagara. They all have local ties, mm-hmm. Buffalo guys. Mike Menega, was Mike Menega involved in recruiting you?
3: He, w- he was on the staff. He didn't recruit me specifically, but he was there the whole time I was there.
1: Okay, he's at Oregon now and is really their main recruiter, mm-hmm. which might not be a good thing with some of the revelations that have come out, but I like Mike. Mike was also on the staff at Canisius mm-hmm. before going to Oregon. Uh, he's a— guy who's not from Buffalo he's from Chicago but I think he liked living in Buffalo and would want to come back and Mm -hmm, coach mm -hmm. here Turner Battle the star player on your team a good friend of yours he's Mm -hmm. an assistant at UAB he is somebody that people will definitely want Mm -hmm. Buffalo to consider as the next head coach what do you think about Turner as a coach and one thing I think about with any of these guys but Turner specifically this is a tough act to follow Would you want to be the coach that comes in after Nate has won 32 games, 59 games in the last two years, and have to live up to that standard right away?
3: Now, for me, and I think for a lot of these guys and a lot of these coaches, I don't think they worry about that at all, especially in in a MAC team. I I think they would look at that and see it as a challenge. And and it's, I think, the same mindset when you would think back to my playing days when, when we went to go play UConn. And I remember sitting on the bus and and a reporter asked me, as we're pulling up to the arena to go play the game, looks at me dead in the eye and goes, do you really think you can win this game? And I look at me, damn right, I think we can win this game, right? So same question I think you could ask of any of these coaches that would even be willing to accept that job. And you would say, oh, do you think you could could copy or build on this success? And they go, absolutely. Why do you think I'm here? So I think... I think it's something that will not scare the best candidates away. They look at it and go, great, let's do it again.
1: Is it fair for fans and media and the university itself to expect a new coach to come in here and have the same success?
3: Oh, that's <laughs> what, what are we talking, 31-3, and 31-4? 32-4. Oh, 32-4. And winning and four. the
1: league four out of the last five years, which nobody's wow. ever done. And you know how tough it is to win that tournament in Cleveland. Let's forget all the records and the wins at West Virginia, the wins at Syracuse, the NCAA Tournament wins. Mm-hmm. Winning that tournament four times in five years, they went 12-1 and over that five-year mm-hmm. span, maybe 13-1. They might have won a game the other year. 12-1, and 13-1 on a neutral floor against other good teams. That's pretty remarkable.
3: No, oh, it's absolutely remarkable. So I think that's probably the most difficult thing. You think we went through how many years since since I've graduated? I won't even say it out loud. It's, it makes me feel old. But <laughs> but you have you've had some teams that have done really well. Even in my year, two thousand five, we had a very good year and we were considered a bubble team. We didn't win the Mac championship. Dagger in my heart, but we lost on a tipping at the end and we were left out. There's been good teams in between there where it's been a one bid league. So I think that, to me, as a coach coming in, I would look at that and I'd be more concerned about that, saying, man, we've got to have a 32-4 and year to even have a really legitimate shot at getting into the tournament as an at-large. That, to me, I think would concern me more than trying to repeat the success that UB just had.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned being a one-bid league. Buffalo got to a point that no max school has been in more than 15 years, longer than that, 20 years really in being a team that would have gotten an at-large bid if they didn't win the MAC tournament this year, which is incredible, not just from how well they played, the games they won, but from a scheduling standpoint. There's years where a MAC school won't get considered for an at-large bid no matter how many games they win because they didn't beat a team like West Virginia on the road, Syracuse on the road, and have the kind of power ratings. Buffalo Mm -hmm. was number nine in the RPI Mm -hmm. on Selection Sunday, and they don't use the RPI anymore. But for all those years that they did, that's a pretty incredible achievement. And I think, I think it is, I think the new coach is going to have, I don't want to say unrealistic expectations, but oversized expectations. Coming in with a fan base that might not expect 32 wins and the kind of success that this team had, but will expect Buffalo to be the best team in the MAC because they've seen it happen four mm-hmm. times in five years now and will think, if you can't do that, you can't coach. And I think that's an unfair expectation, but will be mm-hmm. the expectation and will be, what's required to keep five six thousand people showing up at alumni arena mm-hmm. they have to be a team that is the best team in the mac and maybe borderline top 25 ranks i think for the fan base to be as energized as they were this year all right we're taking a break we'll be back mark portson studio bobby risati tim graham show i'm jonah bronstein no tim graham but we'll be back without him
2: Sports Radio 1270,
3: The Fan. How in the middle of farmer hits him on the head and coins him up. And that's how we get hamburgers. Broadcasting
0: live. Tim Graham Show. Give me some free whiteout, though. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan.
1: We're back. Tim Graham Show. 1270, The Fan. Streaming live on Twitter, Periscope. What else, Bobby? iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio.
2: We got Sports radio 1270.com. Um, radio.com. Tune in. You can get it anywhere.
1: There'll be a podcast later as there well. There sure will be. So if you're listening now and you're like, oh, I want to listen to this again, there'll be a podcast for that. I always like when Tim does those promos. Like, I know you're listening on one station, but if you want to just change the station, yeah. you can listen on that one too. <laughs> We're here in studio with Mark Bortz. UB basketball player. Doesn't want everybody to know how old he is, but he was on <laughs> the 2005 team that reached the MAC championship game. He was a senior on that team, if you want to do some math. And he's been back in the area, lives here now, following UB basketball closely. How much fun was it for you watching how much success this team had the last two years? Or the last five years, or really just the success that they've had?
3: Yeah, I mean, the last X amount of years, it's always fun to see them to see them do well, and to see the community rally around them, to see them hoist the the MAC championship for the first time. That was incredible, and and now just the run to see on a on a national level the expectations change of UB. Before, I mean, you couldn't giveaway tickets to UB games you had to beg people to come and and just on the promise of no we promise it's it's going to be entertaining it wasn't even about winning or losing it was just like like come just check us out try it out right and then uh, you know now it's at a point where people are fighting to get get tickets and and waiting outside the door so it's it's incredible to see from a program and an institution perspective how far they've come and how how fun it's been, I think, for the community as a whole, not just for me, but to see other people enjoy it the way that I was enjoying it while I was there as we were you know, coming up the ranks going from you know, winning five games in my sophomore season to 23. It's, it's just it's an energy that you can't describe until you see it and you're part of it. So it's really fun to see that from, from the outside now looking in.
1: Your team in 2005 won 23 games, reached the MAC championship, lost to Ohio was that,
3: that's a dirty word in my house we, we don't we don't say it. that's the school that has no name so yeah be careful okay it's a small studio Take here Voldemort
1: thought to be there was a bubble team for an at-large bid mm-hmm, that year mm-hmm. didn't make it played in the NIT you, you won an NIT game that year, we correct. did yep. we at did. home right
3: we played at home against Drexel we gave it to him. It was a, you know, That was a great feeling, too, to be the first team to make it to a postseason game. So, I mean, there are a lot of firsts with us, too, and this team has a lot of firsts as well. But the first team to have a home MAC game our junior year, yeah. then you build on that. And you first team to, to make it to the MAC championship, first team to make it to the postseason, first team to win uh, a tournament game in the NIT. So, you know, a lot of those firsts, those were exciting things to, you know, build, I think, uh, a strong foundation to be able to even get to where we are today.
1: A lot of... That was that was a great season. A lot of success. These past couple of years, UB's had a little more success, at least in the way uh, fans and media measure it going to the NCAA tournament for the last five mm-hmm. years, winning NCAA tournament games the last two years, being ranked in the top 25 for 19 straight weeks, as high as number 14, number 15 going into the tournament. But, in the gym, that, on that the floor. That was an
3: emphatic butt, wasn't it? Wasn't it, Bobby? Yeah. Between, yeah. Between <laughs> the, the
1: lines, balls. we'll take the NIT, NET ratings out of it, the RPI, the wins, mm-hmm. the losses. I know you and your old teammates have talked about this. How do you think your 2005 UB team matches up with the 2019 UB team?
3: Wow, so this is being recorded, right? This yeah. is going to go yeah, on record? This is on the record. Mm-hmm. Yes. Unfortunately. Now I, I like to think of myself as a, a very level-headed, realistic person. So, so I would say we got You got to go down the line. We can't just say team to team. You got you got to match match up person for person here. So CJ Turner, right? Who you guys taking? Uh, yeah, there you go. CJ. T- that's that's hmm. a hard
1: one. And really? I would say, I still think Turner's the best player that's ever played here. West Clark last year really? was pretty close, but he was only here for about a year yeah. and played yeah, about I half. Yeah, I think you would have to. C.J. Massenburg, great player, had a great career, does a lot of things well, is underrated for his all-around game in some ways, scored more points than Turner. But I'd still, as a point guard, maybe because he's a pure point guard, leader of the team, you go with Turner battle there.
3: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. I would agree. (laughs) I would agree with that. No, and don't get me wrong. CJ is incredible. It's just – and it's also – it speaks to the different styles of the teams, right? I mean, we we had a very different style than Nate had. So depending on what style you're talking about, you might take somebody different. I mean, it's kind of a a Russ Westbrook or a Steph Curry or a James Harden or a Giannis. You know what I mean? Right. It's what style do you want to start with? And I prefer to start with the style, with a a Turner battle at the helm.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of like picking a quarterback before a running back in a way.
3: Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, so, okay, now, now give me the next name on the list.
1: From this team or your team? No, so, from, uh,
3: from, from this team. And, uh, and, all uh, right,
1: well, let's go six-man off the bench, big man, Nick Perkins against Mark Bortz.
3: Uh, okay, yeah, get right <laughs> to it. Well, you know what? I'll say this. We both have different strengths. Nick leans a bit more to the offensive side. Mine was more on the defensive side. But I can, I can tell you this, given given the uh, – I would say even the way the Mac has changed since I've been there, I'd, I'm confident to say, and I'd love to get Nick on the line and talk about this, but I think I'm locking Nick up. I'm going to lock Nick up. That's the, just yeah. me as a basketball player. You're yeah. bigger, taller. Bigger, taller. I would, I would say our, we're about as fast as one another, probably about as strong as one yeah. another. But, but I'm thinking with all the other weapons around me, that was my job at UB in 2005. My job wasn't to do, do what Nick did. My job was to lock guys like Nick down. So, so I'm happy to do that. Right.
1: Our UB's third star, Jeremy Harris, Mac tournament MVP, Average about 20 points per game in mm-hmm. all the postseason games, MAC tournament, NCAA tournament games. Excellent shooter. Probably going to get a sniff from the NBA. If not drafted, I think he'll be in summer league. Who, who matches up with him on your team?
3: So if you're talking about him, this is where you really get into differences in style. Jeremy's playing like a 3 4, but if he's playing the power forward position, he's, he's matching up either against me or y'all seen the dream. If you're talking the two thousand five team, so so you got a little give and take there. If you if you got me guarding him, then you got Yassine defending Perkins. I mean that right there, All I'm right. I'll I'll do up Harris, no problem. He gets by me, he's got to deal with Dream. Or you flip yeah, it around, he gets by Dream, true. he's he's got to deal with me. So it's it's a different team. And then on offense, we're a very different team than they are too. So so it, it's a give and to take. Right, and, it, and you think about the Warriors versus some other teams that have some big guys inside. I think Sixers versus Warriors. you got a team that's run and gun, or do you want to deal with a team where you got to go and you got to deal with some big fellas down low like Joel Embiid, right? It comes yeah, down right. to style. Clash right. of styles here.
1: Well, I think that this is the crux of the matchup. While it makes it almost really impossible to compare, and there's a lot of NBA teams' comparisons like this that are hard to do, Would they force you to play smaller and match up with the kind of four perimeter players around one big man system that almost everybody plays now? Or would you force them or exploit the size advantage that you guys have? Now, now in this UB team, one of the reasons they were good, they could play two bigs. They had two big men, Montel McCray, Nick Perkins that could shoot. And they would have height and size. And if they needed to, they could do that. But their preferred style was to play four out, really five out. Mm-hmm. But one traditional big man
3: right, right, so i mean, for me i'm i I'm thinking we can match up with that. No matter what, we can match up with that. Because if you want to go small, now I would say our, our big, you put me as, as the five or Yassin as the five, okay, great. And Yassin can play outside. I didn't look at the numbers, but I think he scored more than Nick. His three-point percentage might even been better than Nick's, right? Like Yassin can mm-hmm. do a lot, and he can do a lot of damage down low yeah. and a rebounding machine, right? So, so I've got no concerns there. And then you, you start to talk about the four. Our senior year, we start scooting Danny Gilbert over to the four, and, and he's a great matchup with Jeremy Harris and a better defender. Flat out. Oh, right. Yo, he's, yeah. He's an incredible defender. So
1: Maybe the best defender. Well, uh, see, Buffalo, this team has some great defenders at the point guard perimeter spots. Devontae Jordan, Dante Carruthers. It's incredible defenders. Was Danny Gilbert Mac Defensive
3: Player of the Year? DG, text me, were you? <laughs> no, I believe. <laughs> I should I believe know this, but I, I don't should, know. I, think hey, I, should, I should know this too. That
1: caliber of a defender. No, no, I don't absolutely, know if he got the award absolutely. that year. Or not. I, I can't
3: remember, but he. he I'm going to say. I'm going to say he did, and if he didn't, he deserved it. Um, and I think he was – even if he didn't get it from the coaches, there was there's an award that the players vote on, and the players voted him uh, as Defensive Player of the Year. So in my money, that's as good or better than, than what you see out in the press. So uh, – I'm putting my money on Danny to to lock down on the perimeter. And then you've got – and this is one thing. I would say a difference between their their team and our team in, in terms of style, that's one thing. Number two is depth. I think we had much more depth than this team did. They had four or five guys that they really played. Of course, Nick coming off the bench. But but we were going seven, eight, nine deep. So if it, whatever style you want to play, we can play it. But guess what? We're going to keep coming at you with guys all day long.
1: Yeah, this Buffalo team had a real strong top seven and then played two freshmen that are very talented and could be excellent mm-hmm. players Jonathan Williams, Renaldo Sagu. But were a little bit unreliable. They played like freshmen for a lot of the years. Mm-hmm. So your team was a little bit older. Although Yasin was a freshman that year, right? Or was sophomore. he a sophomore? sophomore? Sophomore. Okay. So your team had the experience advantage. Yeah, I like that. Your team I don't know if you were a better shooting team, but your three-point percentage was higher. So mm-hmm. took, took them less, made them a little more accurately.
3: Style. Style. It was just a Both style. Both played fast.
1: You know? up-tempo, I would think that – I'm with you in the fe- in the sense that dude for dude, if you guys just walked in the gym, your team versus their team, now you guys in your prime and in shape, not now. Oh, please, God, not now. Not now. now.
3: <laughs> not now. I, I'll be next <laughs> Line to the coach by- on the bench would, for sure.
1: Would be able to play <laughs> with them and definitely beat them. I think if I really were to pick a winner in an actual game, a sanctioned game, or if maybe, like, we put these teams on video games and played something like that, <laughs> I'd give – this current team, The Edge, in the sense that Turner Battle is one of the greatest players that ever played for UB, obviously. So it was C.J. Massenburg, Nick Perkins, Jeremy Harris. And last year they had Wes Clark. I don't know if any of those players are better than Turner, but they have three players that are kind of on Turner's level. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the keys to their success, is that they didn't need all of those guys to play well. If one of them did they were in good shape. If two mm-hmm, of them did, mm-hmm. they were in really good shape. And if all three of them did, they'd set records and score 115 points and blow teams out of the building. Right. right. Also, the one thing they did the last couple of years and this year, they never lost a home game or a neutral site game to another MAC team. Mm-hmm. So whenever they played a team that was on their level, they were clearly better than that team. They lost a couple of games on the road on last-second shots. Everybody mm-hmm. loses conference games on the road. The other games they lost were against clearly better teams. So that's why I would say – well, your 2005 team was a great Mac team, didn't win it, but was a great Mac team. I don't know, this might be the best Mac team of all time. So, hey, I don't know if another Mac team would beat this Buffalo team.
3: that Kent State team back in 01 or 2. Right, that, well maybe they would. Yeah. That
1: that, that, that yeah. that's the game. That's the game. But
3: no, you make a great point. Bottom line, they got it done. 32 and 4, that speaks volumes right, right there.
1: Yeah, and that you almost you have to pick them because of the record.
3: Exactly. They'd be the favorite. Exactly. I don't
1: know if they'd win the game, but they'd be the favorite.
3: Let's get this put on a video game somewhere. <laughs> yeah,
1: I want to hear from like Fantasy. Danny Gilbert, awesome. or somebody that has a strong opinion about <laughs> who would win that game.
3: Yeah, what, are you saying I'm being too politically correct yeah. here? I don't know if you Flesh feel you it man. in your
1: chest, as they like to say, as much as uh, maybe some of your teammates do. He's pretty confident about his defense, though. Yeah, right, his I individual buy in. matchup. Right, he, he's, right. Hey, no, listen, that's I buy in.
3: I made a career off it. That that's oh, the yeah. reason I was able to, to play for so for as many years as I did overseas. Is I made it on defense. Yeah. That's what it was. At a certain point, you got to make a choice.
2: Right, and teams need that. You're all you always need that. I mean, that's what the NBA is clam- clamoring for now.
1: Well, look, we'll, let's just call up Reggie Witherspoon. We'll ask him. He coached you. He coached <laughs> yeah. against these guys. He'll have an answer. Mm,
3: mm. I think I know. I think I know which way he'll go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're gonna take another break. Come back one more segment with Mark Hortz in the studio, Tim Graham show and Tim Graham, but we'll be back.
0: This is the Tim Graham Show. Other than it's a silly, I'm doing the wanking motion right here. It's a silly, it's a waste of time. Obviously, it's an entertaining thought to the people here in Buffalo and to everybody else around the country. Because...
2: The
1: voices in my head again. Sports Radio
2: 1270, Radio 1270.
0: The, fan. the fan, and on the fans app, free to download in the App Store. Now back to the Tim Graham Show. What
1: are we listening to, Bobby? Led Zeppelin. What are we vaping, Bobby? Uh, that play? would Get be out of the way. Uh, it,
2: peach butterscotch with uh, uh, prickleberry. I don't know what prickleberry is, but...
1: I don't think there is a prickleberry. No. <laughs> I've looked for it. Google it. Okay. All right. Last segment, we have Mark Bortz in studio. Mark, like myself, the big MBA honk and a wonk, as we yeah. like to call <laughs> Mike Rodin. <wrote it. laughs> Hey, Mark, you said something about the chair you were sitting in.
3: Yeah, I asked if this is Rodak's chair because it's, it's a little bit crooked, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sitting a little bit off to the side here.
1: That's why it's Rodak's chair. Sit crooked up straight, Mike.
3: Rodak. Sit up straight.
1: Mike Rodak. Rodak. Hey, Rodak did a great job hosting the show last week. Yeah. Now he's bringing another Rodak into the world oh, boy. today. We give him the day off. Yeah. He's back next week. Tim Graham's back next week. Right. I think. I hope. I know. <laughs> I'll, be I'll be back behind the camera and not have to worry about how i look yeah thanks for wearing
3: pants today jonah i appreciate (laughs) that.
1: yeah it's not a usual occurrence (laughs) thanks for i didn't wear my tom brady jersey like bobby did (laughs) (laughs) but anyways we have a few minutes here we're going to talk some nba with mark quartz all right the season's almost over this is when we talk about who should win the mvp not that we haven't been talking about that all year long before i ask you who your mvp is tell me who you is your mvp isn't mark
3: Oh, it's a good question. I, I get all heated about this. Every time that I hear somebody talking about James Harden locking up the MVP, the fact that he's even in the conversation to me drives me insane. And it has nothing to do with his style. His style, love it, hate it, whatever. The guy gets buckets, no problem. But right. the fact that the guy plays one end of the court... To me, yeah. you should not even be in the conversation. I don't care if he scores sixty points a game every game all year. Forget it. MVP to me. Everybody has a different definition, but to me, it's a guy who does a little bit of everything for his team every single night. Right. And I heard somebody making a, a comment on ESPN about this, and they were saying, "Well, people talk about his defense, but but the guy, you know, averages two point two steals a game. He's top five in the league in deflections. No, no, no. Steals and deflections are not defense. That's you cherry picking right. on right. on the backside, That's great- and that. that That has nothing to do with defense to me.
1: True. I do think there have been previous MVPs where the defense wasn't really their consideration, whether it's a Steve Nash. There's debates about how good Magic Johnson was on defense. At the end of his career, he wasn't playing a lot of defense. Mm -hmm. Offense, I think, matters more than defense from judging individual great players, maybe not so from the team. In basketball, defense might matter more than offense from the team, but when we're talking about – the legends of the game, the MVPs. James Harden is having, would you say he's the offensive player of the year though?
3: 100%. Tell me somebody who's even oh, sure. close. There's there's no close second to me. I mean, you've got you've got like the Golden State Warriors. You've got two guys averaging 26, 27, 28 points a game, you know, playing off each other. And then of course you got, so you got Durant and you got Curry and you got Clay and you got that whole squad. It's just absolutely ridiculous and not fair. But Hands down, offensive player of the year for sure, no doubt. But you want to talk about MVP? MVP to me. Let me set my definition as somebody who does a little bit of everything, all facets of the game, does the most for their team. And to me, that's that's Giannis. I mean, yeah, he is doing everything. And you talk about best player and best team right now. The Bucks are on fire, and he's doing everything for them. You mm-hmm. look at the advanced stats with the NBA and the the net ratings, the a few different stats, and Giannis is. Crushing James Harden on every single one of those. Yeah.
1: That's true. Uh, I was going to go next with who is your MVP. W- but one more point on Harden. He's averaging 36 and 7, as you said, offensive player of the year. Where I disagree with you, I-, I think Giannis, I would vote him the MVP. I think he should be the MVP. Best player on the best team. Might be the best defensive player in the league, or at least among the MVP candidates. He is the best defensive player. They're the best defensive team. They have the best record. He's 27 points, 13 rebounds, assists, defense. I mean, he's having an MVP season. I think it's kind of a slam dunk with Giannis Antetokounmpo. But I also think James Harden is having an MVP year. And an offensive year, 36.7 assists that we've never seen before, carried the team when Chris Paul and Clint Capella were hurt. And I would say James Harden has to be at least number two on the ballot and in the discussion. And if Giannis Antetokounmpo wasn't having the season he's having – If Houston's record was a little bit better, I wouldn't really have any issue with James Harden being the MVP for the level that he's played at this season.
3: So beyond points, what's the next thing there that you're looking at? You're looking at assists? Yeah. And for a guy that's that ball dominant, you mentioned Steve Nash, and Steve Nash is in his own right an incredible offensive player. For a guy that's as ball dominant as Harden, you think seven assists is enough?
1: I think seven assists combined with how much he shoots. I mean, you look, seven assists, it's really seven and a half assists. They make a lot of threes. So let's say that's 16, 17 points a game. We're not even talking about setting up guys for free throws. His thirty-six scoring. So he's given them more than 50 points a night all from his own offense. I know they isolate him. He has the ball more than anybody else. But I don't know if there's another player in the league that can do what he does. Maybe Steph Curry, maybe not.
3: And and but what has he given up? That's the other thing. He, if he accounts for fifty, sixty points a game, how many has he given up? I have played with guys like this and guys against guys like this. Where yeah, they'll they'll account for sixty points a game, but they are going to give up either the guy that they're guarding or hiding them on the backside. Right. They're going to give up that or more. And when you look at the plus minus, I like the plus minus. He's he's three. Giannis is nine. And it's the a big plus difference. Minus. Yes. and you oh, take wow. you take them off the court. It's going it, it's going way way down for Giannis. It's not going down quite as much for um, for Harden. So yeah. to me, that's a huge deal. Not just what they're doing when they're on the court. Where you do, what's happening when they're coming off the court, and what else do they offer to you? Rebounds blocks, other possessions, extra possessions that they can give you, that to me is where he just doesn't tick all the boxes for me. So in terms of number two, I'm going to jump to a Kawhi Leonard. I'm, I'll give it to Steph. I'll give it to Durant. I'll give it to Westbrook. I know I know that Westbrook uh, and Paul George is having an incredible year. If you year. like
1: two-way players, Paul George, oh, Paul George probably God, should be yeah. third in the MVP voting.
3: He should. And, and, and in, in my mind, I would even have a debate if it should be Paul George or if it should be Westbrook, because Westbrook is another all guy, right. and, and the way that he's stepping back and, and helping Paul George george to do what he yeah. does and the way he stepped back to allow that to happen i think that's incredible because you look at the westbrook now with paul george compared to the narrative and the way that it was when it was westbrook and it was durant i mean it's completely flipped it yeah. is completely that's flipped. a great
1: point right yeah and that's a credit to paul george being able to fit in with westbrook and also expand and flourish right. in his own game well because mm-hmm. he wanted to that was important he right. wanted to be there yeah
3: That was a a surprise to me when he actually came back there and signed. Everybody said, oh, Paul George, Lakers. And he said, nope, I'm sticking with with Oklahoma City. And that that speaks to Westbrook and the relationship that they have and the way that, to me, Westbrook was able to change the narrative in the way that he worked with his teammates as opposed to a Durant, where Durant wanted to pick up and leave Mm -hmm. and go join the superpower.
1: So who's the best player in the world? That's a little bit of a different Ooh. discussion. We only got about a minute here. Who's Love the best this. player in basketball right now?
3: Oh, man, this, it's, it's tough for me. And, again, uh, to me it's still, it's still LeBron. In terms of the guy that can do a little bit of everything, it's LeBron because he can still, when needed, if you're talking, like, say, Game 7 of the NBA Finals, who is the best player in the world and who I'm taking, it's a little bit different of a question than who do you want for the whole NBA season. I think I'm taking LeBron, or I'm taking Durant yeah. in Game 7 of the NBA Finals. So it's, it's those two then it, for you? To me, it's, it's those two. What about wow. you, John? That's awesome.
1: It's hard to go with LeBron with the way the team had it, but it was those two and Stephen Curry. I would put James Harden in that discussion. I think he gives really? something back on defense, but there's ways teams can be structured to where somebody carries your offense and the rest of the team plays team's defense. And offensively, he's almost broken the game, the way he can get his threes off draw fouls, read the defense, throw. He's an amazing passer. Yeah. And I think he's the best offensive player in the game right now, him or Kevin Durant. And even though Kevin Durant's a better defensive player, James Harden's in the discussion for the best basketball player in the world. I'd go with Kevin Durant. LeBron James, he get, I don't know. He's If he was the best basketball player in the world, the Lakers would be in the playoffs, right?
3: I don't know about that. They've got a whole lot of holes on that team. He's got a groin that's probably hanging on by a thread right oh. now. So if you look at them before he went out and what he still has the capability to do, I'm still taking a healthy LeBron, not an end-of-the-season LeBron here. I don't think we got to Le- see what he really can LeBron do.
1: LeBron doesn't play defense like he used to. Agreed. He still puts up scoring, and rebound numbers like he used to. He doesn't play defense like he used to. It is hard to say he's not the best basketball player in the world, though, because it wasn't that long ago that we were in the playoffs and he was looking like the best basketball player <laughs> ever came, came down times. from 3-1 right yeah. so that's
3: what i'm saying if you put him in game seven of the finals you're gonna see he'll I mean, do it he's coasting in the back half of the season to save it for the ability to yeah. do that in a long series in the playoffs so I'm, I'm still thinking he's got it in the tank but but he's getting a little bit older he's got to save it he's got to conserve but he's still when he wants to turn it on i think he's still got it
1: yeah all right ports we'll get you back in here may or june talk a little bit more nba jordan lebron kobe hardy yeah. all <laughs> that. we'll have agency. all of those debates We'll have Tim Graham back. The show will be back to its normal level. It won't be this worst of edition, as I like to call it. (laughs) We'll see you guys all next week.